today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantar. Being gospel-centered means that you understand and appreciate the implications and applications of the gospel for every part of our lives. And so what Paul has done is he's preached the gospel to us, and now he's going to apply the gospel to this area of reconciliation and barriers in the church. And if I can get you to connect the gospel to this area of reconciliation, you will not be the same. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Today, Pastor Ricky will be explaining that there is a greater significance to the gospel than just being saved from hell. It's a glorious thing that sinners can now be saved from hell. However, God didn't just save us from hell, he saved us from our sinful life. You now have the power to say no to sin. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, sin shall have no dominion over you. In this text, Pastor Ricky will be exhorting you to be reconciled to others, just as Christ reconciled you to the Father. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, for part one of our message entitled, I am reconciled. Our church is not exempt, and churches in general need help in the area of reconciliation. There's a book that's out of print now, but I found some, some stories from called Great Church Fights. Um, and it's, it was written, I think, uh, a couple decades ago, and I found two stories from this book that I think illustrate this problem. Um, one story was about a church in Wales uh, and this is, this is an excerpt from the book. Oh, actually, this is an excerpt from the newspaper in the, the Welsh town about what happened. So imagine reading this in the El Paso Times. Yesterday, the two opposition groups both sent ministers to the pulpit. Both of them had had, they, there was a search committee and they each Half of the search committee selected one pastor. Half of them selected another pastor. They couldn't agree. They both issued job offers to these two pastors. They both asked them to show up. They both told them they were going to be installed. And so both of them sent ministers into the pulpit. Both, the newspaper continues, spoke simultaneously, each trying to shout above the other. Then both called for hymns. And the congregation sang too, each trying to drown out the other. Bibles were raised in anger. The Sunday morning service turned into bedlam. Through it all, the two preachers continued to outshout each other with their sermons. Eventually, a deacon called the police. This is why this passage is in our Bible. Uh, One more story was about two unmarried sisters who were living together, but had an unresolved disagreement over what seemed a relatively small issue. But over this issue, they stopped speaking to one another. Now, since they were either unable or unwilling to move out of their small house, they continued to use the same rooms, eat at the same table, use the same appliances, and sleep in the same room, all separately without a word. 
This is my favorite part. A chalk line divided the sleeping area into two halves, separating doorways as well as the fireplace. Now, I would like to try to see that happen. I'm sorry. This, I, I, my side of the fireplace has a fire. You need to make your own fire for your side of the fireplace. So each would come and go, cook and eat, sew and read without ever stepping over into her sister's territory. Now, we can chuckle at these things, but I think they indicate the fact that although Jesus has, has saved us in an amazing way and brought us together and formed a church, there is still work to be done. The gospel um, is deep and rich and has many implications and applications. And our church likes to say that we're a gospel-centered church. But being a gospel-centered church doesn't mean for us that we like recite kind of in rote just the facts about the gospel every week. Oh, we're gospel-centered because we get together and we run through his life, death, resurrection, you know, ascension, come back. Uh, except we don't do that. That's not what it means to be a gospel-centered church. Being gospel-centered means that you understand and appreciate the implications and applications of the gospel for every part of our lives. And so what Paul has done is he's preached the gospel to us, and now he's going to apply the gospel to this area of reconciliation and barriers in the church. And if I can get you to connect the gospel to this area of reconciliation, you will not be the same. If, if you will see what God has done for you and then apply that to people around you, you won't be the same. And even this week, this, this passage has been working on me. Now, one qualification is that this isn't a how-to manual. I'm not going to address every single step of, you know, when do you talk to this person, then what do you say, and then how does that work? And Ephesians 4 actually has some more specifics. But but right in, in this passage, we're going to look at the kind of the theological weight and drive behind reconciliation and unity in the church. And so Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 11, let's read together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Well, I really only have one big idea, but we're gonna unpack it in two halves. And the big idea is simple. It's this, if Christ has reconciled us to God, then he's reconciled us to one another. Speaking of Christians, if Christ has reconciled us to God, the theological implication of that is that we're now reconciled to one another and we're meant to live in the good of that. Now, Paul uses this language of 
to, to illustrate this point of being far off and being brought near. It happens twice in these verses. So that's how we're going to approach this. Far off is the first point and brought near is the second point. So the first point, far off. Now, Paul is going to tell us as Gentiles who we were and why we were far off. Now, obviously the Bible says that God's people and the Gentiles were both, in a sense, far off from God. But this is specifically Paul addressing his Gentile readers who were even in a more visible way, a physical way, a cultural way, far off from the people of God. And I'm going to break this down because it helps us understand what it means to be brought near. Verse 11 says this, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were, and then he goes on and lists things. He, he needs us, he needs you to understand, Christian, that, that we were what he's about to describe. That this wasn't, we didn't, we didn't sort of show up as generally good people. You know, we're not that far off. No, Paul tells us you are further away. You were further away than you think. And he, he breaks it out in, in several kind of devastating um, phrases. He says we were separated from Christ. So in the Old Testament, the, the, the people of God had this beautiful promise that one day God was going to send a redeemer to set the world right, but Gentiles were cut off from that. They didn't have that. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So Gentiles were, were ethnically and nationally separated from God's people. And it doesn't just mean, well, they're, they're not Jewish or they're not Israelites, and so they're not, you know, they're not in the best people group. No, the reason that, that, the, that God's people in the Old Testament were unique and special and significant wasn't anything that they had done. Abraham was a pagan before God called him. What was unique about the people of God is that God dwelt with them, is that they were God's people. And so for the Gentiles, they were on the outside of God's people. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. And that word promise is actually singular. So there's multiple covenants or agreements God made, but one promise. And that promise that's repeated throughout the, the Old Testament is that I will be their people and, uh, and, they, and I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. That was the promise, that no matter what happened, he was gonna be their God and they were to be his people. And as a result, Paul goes on that they have no hope. Because what, what promise did the Gentiles have that the world could get better? What promise that they have that they could hold on to? What hope did they know was for sure going to come true? Nothing. They weren't part of God's people. They worshiped idols and they were apart from God. And last, he sums it up by saying they were without God in the world. And there was, a, there was an amazing picture in the, in the Old Testament of this day and in this day where the temple in Jerusalem would have a, a court where the Gentiles would be allowed to, but actually 
Unfortunately, it was taken, it became a marketplace more than really a place of worship for the Gentiles. But they were, they were to have this court of the Gentiles where they could come and kind of, kind of get a little bit closer. But beyond that, all around the temple were signs posted. Now, today we have signs that say trespassers will be prosecuted, Right? Meaning that the threat is that a lawyer is going to drag you into court, sue you for everything you've got, and leave you out on the street. No, no, no. The the signs did not say trespassers will be prosecuted in this day. They said trespassers will be executed. And they had it in multiple Gentile languages so that if you cross that line, well, the Romans were no longer responsible for what happened. In fact, one of the reasons Paul is in jail is that he got unrightly, I mean wrongly accused of bringing a Gentile past the line. And that's the whole reason, part of the whole reason he's actually in prison. So he, he's saying, look, you guys, if you were in Jerusalem, you would walk up and see this huge barrier between you and God. And that's, that's a picture of where you were spiritually. Think about it like this. In the early kind of colonial America where Puritans um, had multiple towns and uh, kind of had sway over the justice system in many places, in the early colonial days, oftentimes criminals had to wear symbols of what crimes they had committed so that they would have to bear the kind of consequences of their crimes. And so the one famous example we know about is the scarlet letter uh, of, of A for adultery. So if you committed adultery, you were made to kind of pin to yourself this scarlet letter that announced to the whole community that you were an adulterer and therefore were cut off and cast out from the community. You, you lived in the same geographic area, but when you walked down the street to buy something, all of a sudden shops would be boarded up. When, when people were invited to a party, all of a sudden they forgot to invite you. When, when people gathered on Sunday morning to worship God, uh, wrongly, really, um, sometimes these people who had committed these crimes were actually kept out of the church or made to sit separate out in the, maybe where they could hear the message, but nobody had to look at them. See, that's a picture of what ha- what's happened to us apart from Christ. We wear on ourselves, it's as though we're wearing the scarlet letters of our sins. Here's this one, an adulterer, or uh, sexually immoral, or a thief, or a gossip, or, or, or lazy, or cruel, or given to fits of anger. We wear these things on ourselves. And as a result, God himself must put us out of the community. And we can no longer step foot in the church. So think about this. What, what if you were in that town of that day? What would you have pinned onto yourself? What would be your identity What would keep you outside? What sins have you committed that would keep you on the outside? What would keep you far off? But second, let's go on and talk about this second section, beginning of verse 13, brought near. We're far off, but verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ, for he himself is our peace who had made, it, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall 
of hostility. Notice the amazing picture here that Paul is saying that people who were once far off, people who were once on the other side of the wall, have been brought near. It's not as though that those Gentiles somehow have figured out how to get over the wall or like they came up with the right formula of religious obedience to kind of jump over or they built a stepladder. No, no, no. Paul Paul says that God himself has brought them near and then he tells us how that's happened. He has, Paul says, reconciled us to God, breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What what does this mean? What are these pictures, these words that Paul is is using? Well, for anyone with a Jewish background in this day, they would have remembered the Day of Atonement, which was meant to be a picture of what it takes to atone for our sins. And there were two goats involved at, at this day. And the first goat had its blood shed. Its blood was poured out because it was meant to be a picture of the fact that sin equals death and death is what it takes to pay for sin. So on the cross where Paul says those who are far off have been brought near, he says it's by the blood of Christ. That Christ was spread out on the cross, bleeding out on the cross, was like this sacrificial goat that would bleed out and atone for our sins. But that there was a a second goat that that was involved, and this goat was a different picture. It was a picture of of being cast out, of being cut off. And so this goat was taken and and put out into the desert without hope, without help, cut off from God, cut off from his people. And Jesus himself on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not only was Christ's blood shed to atone for our sins, he on the cross was was also cast out. Not like a goat cast out into the desert, but like the sinless son of God cast out into the wrath of the father. Crying out, screaming in agony on the cross, why God have you cast me out into punishment? Here's the point. Jesus was treated like a Gentile sinner. He was cast away from God. He was cast out, away from God, into punishment so that sinners who deserved rightly to be cast out could be brought near. He was put away from God so that through his blood we could be brought near. See, we deserve what Jesus got on the cross. We deserve to have our blood shed and to be cast away from the presence of the Father and yet Jesus did it for us so that we could receive what Jesus deserved, which was to be brought near to the presence of the Father into fellowship with him. Here's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has come to our town where we wear labels of our sin, this one an adulterer, This one, a murderer in his heart. This one, given to fits of anger. And Jesus knocks on each of our doors and say, that that A, let me wear it for you. That symbol of anger where you hit your child. 
Let me wear that for you. That time where you cheated on your spouse, let me wear that for you. The, 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 the addiction you have to pornography or to alcohol or to drugs, let me wear that for you. And he begins to pin our labels on himself and then he walks into the, to the, to the jail and announces, I will bear the penalty for these sins. And so he is put in the stocks. He is humiliated. He is beaten and then he is hanged. But all of those labels die with him. All of those labels are paid for so that three days later on Sunday morning, he swings open the doors of the church and announces, now you can come in. Those of you that have been kept out of the church for years in shame and hurt rightly for your sins, now you can come in. Come and worship the Father again. I've paid for your sins. I've brought you near. Come in. This is what Jesus has done for us. Those who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look, if, if you are not a Christian, this is the one thing we as a church want you to get this morning. We don't want you to walk out of here thinking that we're gonna give you a 10-step plan for you to pay God back for your sins or try to make you feel like a sinner so you go work harder and then someday God will be satisfied with you and maybe you'll make it into heaven after, you know, after an extended period of punishment or maybe a wait and see period or maybe one of your relatives will help you get into heaven. That's not what we want you to walk away with. Friends, none of us in this church are good people telling other people how to be good like us. All of us are people that have had their letters removed and paid for by somebody else who now go and proclaim, look, I don't care what's pinned to you. I don't care how many sins you wear on yourself. If you will give them to Jesus who wants them, he will die for them and swing the doors of the church open so you can be reconciled to God. That's what we want you to hear. And friend, if that is you, I am urging you, don't wait. <laughs> the doors of the church are open. Jesus has his hand out, ready to take your sins. And friend, all you need to do to give them to him is to believe in faith that he was the sinless son of God, that he was punished for your sins, and that he rose again. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sit in the stocks anymore. I have a burden that, that there may be some people that because of something they've done in their past, they assume that they need to, before coming to Christ, almost sit in the stocks a little longer or punish themselves a little more. Friend, I am telling you, this is what scripture says. You have been, you can be brought near by the blood of Christ. But let's apply that now. He has not only reconciled us to God, Jesus has reconciled us to one another. See, the, the logic of this verse is this. If you have been reconciled to God by being united to Christ, which is what Jesus has done, he's reconciled us to God, so, so not just sort of like, okay, we're okay a little bit, kind of arm's length relationship with God. No, no, you've been reconciled to God and are now in Christ. The language in Christ means that you're part of Christ's very body. So if that's happened, if you are part of the body of Christ and every other Christian is now part of the body of Christ, then... This is not rocket science. You are both part of the body of Christ. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty 
grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of his. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.